You're listening to the Adventurous Weirdos Podcast by WatcherDM. Learn more at WatcherDM.com or come join our Patreon at Patreon.com slash WatcherDM. Stay weird. Hey, Austin. Hey, Gabe. <laughs> How you doing, man? Uh, you know, I'm all right today. Did uh, I ever tell you I prefer Gabriel? No. Yeah, my, my name is Gabriel. Okay. It's okay. Can we start over? <laughs> no, just, uh, no, I like that, you know. Yeah, all right. I'm surprised that it never came up, but I guess it, it wouldn't. Yeah. So, yeah. Gabriel. All right, Gabriel. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm Gabriel. I'm Austin. And we're Watcher DM and Quest Giver Games yes. Limited. And this is the fifth episode of the Adventurous Weirdos podcast. So if, it, if this is your not your first time here, uh, welcome back. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, you must be a subscriber or... Just a cool person. Or a family member. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who we're paying to watch us. Uh, just kidding. We're not paying anyone to watch this. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming back. And if you are new, uh, to this, this is an opportunity for Austin and I, uh, to talk about what it's like being a Titter Pig publisher. If you don't know what Titter Pigs are, you're probably on the wrong podcast. <laughs> no, well, uh, let's not go that far. I mean, you... We're inventing new nomenclature to talk about tabletop RPGs. They're called Titter Pigs now. Because we're cool kids, and we need to speak the cool kid language. Yeah? Yeah, I'm too cool to answer. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I, so it's just assumed correct. I screwed it up. S-M-F-H. Noob. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, so yeah, this is episode five. I missed you last week. You had Thanksgiving duties with family, and... You had to take your baby and show it around, which yeah. is the most sh- important part of having a baby. Show off the infant. Yeah. People like that. Yeah, I assume. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah. That's no, great. Watching yeah. them all croon over. No, it was great. Mm-hmm. I got to I got to ferry out on the Salish Sea. I got to see the, the black sand beaches and the, the orcas and the ravens and the such. It was nice. Get a little inspiration. Well, not always being out in the... Out in the big wild around here is always very inspiring. Yeah, yeah I don't get out too often. I, even just a little walk to the creek, I always get some sparks of inspiration and joy uh, out of it. I always I'm coming coming home with ideas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were even talking about just the other day about you were you were talking about the black sand, and we were like, man, we should we should do some island, stuff. do some more island stuff, do some do some more hex crawl stuff. I have a lot of thoughts on that. I kind of have a feeling that anybody who's ever tried to write rules for water vehicle combat in Titter Pigs uh, probably has no sailing experience. I've never once seen rules for water vehicles on a tabletop RPG and been like, this person knows what they're fucking talking about. (laughs) I was reading, I was actually reading uh, Empire of Imagination last night. Um, and it was the the first the interaction where Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax first met, mm-hmm. and they met over. Uh, Dave Arneson was playing a Napoleonic simulation uh-huh. game, and he had this big ship model, and like they were using. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but the rules were basically that you like guessed how far the opponent was, and then you measured, and based on how far off your, your guess was, would. was kind of like your. That was like how you know how much you missed by or whatever. That's really cool. Uh, it was kind of a neat neat concept. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was like, that sounds 
first of all, that sounds like something designed by somebody who probably has tried to do anything on a boat. Yeah. Because you're guessing. Yeah. You know, like, try holding a sextant still on a boat long enough. You know, right? Like... Mm -hmm. You know, I actually, this is a stupid story, but I remember when I was about 13 or 12 years old, I had, I was learning to, to sail and I had learned dead reckoning, like to do it like they did in, you know, the 1700s and 1800s where you have your compass and you're setting off a mountain or, you know, you're kind of navigating like that. And uh, we were learning, there's a bunch of us, a bunch of kids on this boat for a week. And I think two days into the week, the the guy who ran the boat had finally saved up enough money to get a GPS uh, so they didn't have to do dead reckoning anymore. And I remember trying to race my classmate to see if I could navigate better than him with his computer, me and my fucking, you know, abacus. And my <laughs> like, uh, you can't. <laughs> it turns out you can't. Even if you think you're really, really smart, you're not smart. Actually, computer. thinking you're really, really smart is probably a better way of being lo- like lost. Not, yeah, yeah. 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 The smarter you think you are, the worse you're going to be probably. But. Yeah. But that's the that's the nice thing about being. Uh, what did you say last week? A mediocre white guy, and you're 13, and you. <laughs> I think yeah the, the yeah, the power is embracing your mediocrity. If yeah. everybody could just embrace their mediocrity, yeah, it's it, it's a better world. That's the thing. You don't need to beat the computer. You just you just Except need to. Except you've it. been defeated, and yeah. you're like, well, I'm a meatbag. Yeah, this yeah. is how meatbags do. Is uh, it John Henry? Was a steel driving man? Is that? Uh... <laughs> well, whatever. Someday, someday I'll write my uh, Magnum Opus weird maximalist sailing RPG where you know you roll for wind direction every twenty minutes and you know you yeah. can only what? land on certain beaches. Yeah, you know, actually, I think that's that's an interesting topic to bring up. It's like um, playing a lot of OSR lately. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a weird amalgam mm-hmm. of what seems to me like minimalist, an attempt to have a minimalist play style in what is effectively a maximalist design space. Interesting. Like Dungeons and Dragons is not minimalist. It tries pretty hard to simulate warfare, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently some level of economy, because that was the kind of the first... The first things that were in Dungeons and Dragons was like, yeah. here's how, did... how to kill things and here's how much it costs to buy weapons. Yeah, here's how to kill things, take their money and turn it into better killing tools. Right, and, uh, right. Capitalism. <laughs> exactly. Uh... <laughs> um, but like, you know, there's there's other games out there that we've played. Hell, there's other games out there that we've made mm-hmm. that are m- more minimalist. Yeah. And deliver, I think, potentially a tighter game loop. Yeah. Like, I think that's what's interesting about it. It's like at a certain level, like I was playing 5e the other day and part of the game loop of 5e was like rolling skills to see about doing things mm-hmm. that did not matter Yeah. to the anything. Yeah. Really. Um, that's fair. I feel like that's the most common experience in DMing 5e is like when you ask, they're like, I want to, you know, I want to open the box. And you're like, okay, it's a strength check. And they fail. And you're like, I guess roll again. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just, I guess I called for a stupid skill check, didn't I? My bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I think the question is like, do they need to have the thing in the box? 
yeah, do they need to have it? Or, or is there a consequence for failure? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is it realistic that you and your four dudes are going to try and open this box for 10 minutes, not succeed, and then be like, well, I guess this box is unopenable. <laughs> well, and I think that, like, you've, you just hit the nail on the head, right? It's like, if, if you have infinite time, and nobody cares, yeah. and the noise you make is irrelevant, yeah. then no role is required. Yeah. You eventually destroy the box through your incompetence, at least. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's contents. Maybe that's the consequence, <laughs> right? It's, oh, it was a glass slipper, and now it's, you know, 15 shards of glass slipper. Um, but yeah, like, we were just talking about, you know, how the maximalist tradition of role-playing games like, where's the end point? So I feel like a lot of the modern gaming stuff is bucking against the trend of 5e to be this kind of completionist, maximalist yeah. game. But it's not the it's not the biggest, most complicated no. game on the block. Not by a long shot. I remember, remember when it came out in 2014, 10 years ago maybe. Uh, I remember when 5e came out, reading it, and they're skimming it, and thinking... They really dumbed it down. Like, you know, this is this is too simple. This is like the beginner box for third edition. And, you know, and now I feel like I'm like, God damn it. Do I really want to roll up a character for 5e? I got to pick skills. I got to pick feats. I got six ability scores. Like, yeah. you know, get out of here. Um, <laughs> six ability scores. I only yeah. need four. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. Come on. Uh, you know, you compare it to something like... Uh, like lamentations or you know ose even o ose kind of does the same thing for me where it's like oh like the amount of experience you're getting is going to be altered by your prime attribute i'm just like nah, no i don't have time for that you lost me at the percentage mark like i got stuff to do yeah doing math uh, as a game as a part of the game loop is a very weird nerdy thing to do well ose is just it's very cumbersome in a lot of ways compared to like even fifth edition is just like the the difference between skill systems in OSE third edition, something like Pathfinder, and then five E just looks so simple by comparison, right? Which I think brought a lot of people in. I don't know. Does OSE OSE doesn't really have a skill system? Oh, sure, it does. It has the thief skills. It has the percentile. You're a level three that's thief. You have thief, a forty percent. That's like the thief class feature. Yeah. Like nobody else gets those. Yeah. Which is weird, too, because it kind of implies that if you are a fighter or something and you want to climb a rope, I mean, well, you, you know. Yeah, no, you suck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just... Everybody sucks at climbing except the thief. Yeah. And that's like, you know, I think that's about a certain amount of trying to live up to the fantasy. And, it, like, how much do you let everybody be the fantasy guy? What's what's Batman's class? Yeah. Well, right? The Obviously. I think Batman's we, class is rogue. Okay, so good answer, but also wrong. Monk, paladin, right? Like there's ranger. Every single fucking person has an opinion about this. Yeah. If you really want to get technical, he is barely a wizard, right? <laughs> oh, He's God. just leveraged the well, the magic of economy <laughs> to do whatever the fuck he wants. His, his magic is technology. Yeah, yeah, it could be artificer. I mean, I you'll recall when uh, our and Andrew Ferguson was running his dragon campaign. No, uh, I remember you playing Batman. Yeah. It was fantastic. Thank you. I, I had a great time. I was actually thinking about that last night. It was Rogue Monk, right? You played I think Rogue and Monk was the was the build I went with. And I think I had like a single level of paladin or something. Or okay. fighter or something. Yeah. Like it was just like I needed I needed a fighting style or something to I don't know. 
brawler. But it is. It's kind of it's one of those things where it really did building that character was real exercise in abusing the multi-class rules. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I think that's a that's a good example though, like of like a character where you you did the dipping, mm-hmm. right? You tried to paint a an existing IP character Using in the, the colors of Five E, yeah, and you ended up with some Frankenstein monster. It was okay. It was, it was a fun character. Yeah, I mean the real the the point was to go back and forth between Adam West and Christian Bale, and kind of you know. Uh, so as long as <laughs> as long as you're calling people chum as Bruce Wayne, and then being the knight when you're Batman, I think it doesn't really matter what class you pick. But <laughs> exactly, yeah. it depends on the game you're playing, right? Which yeah, yeah, yeah. But like doing the same thing, if you were to build out Batman in Pathfinder, for instance, I feel like you would have a more accurate Batman to whichever Batman you wanted to have, right? I mean, you'd have to pick a you pick like is it Keaton? You couldn't do West and Bay. You know what I'm saying? Like you couldn't have them both. Yeah, you'd have to pick one and kind of be like, this is the Batman I'm getting. But you could probably get it you know, really down there, but you would end up with 12 class. You know what I'm saying? Like 12 yeah, classes yeah. or subclasses or some mix of skills and, and whatnot just to get that right. And the same is true of like any fictional IP character, you look, yeah. you know, comic book characters, look at Wolverine, you know, any of those uh, comic book characters. Well, I think one of my favorite characters I've ever played was a comic book analog was, uh, was Deuce Danner, our, our incredible bulk uh, right, right. Which I mean, that that was one of the times Fifth Edition really played out for me because that guy was a straight barbarian, and then I took as my you know, like you know beast path or whatever, where you can mutate into a, a thing. Yeah, and then just taking the healer feat to kind of get a little bit of scientist in there, I felt worked worked pretty well. It worked pretty well. That healer feat is a nice. I feel like it's a it's a nice. Um, option it kind of adds a lot of flavor to any character um but i feel like there is a temptation to be like i'm a cleric i should take the healer feed it's like don't do that <laughs> like that's not for you <laughs> like yeah no that's fair i mean i've definitely had clerics with the healer feet because yeah. like if you're the party healer like and you run out of like Level if you run out of one, slots yeah. it's it's nice to have around but yeah you're right when you've got other options it's not usually the one you want to be breaking out um you know, it's it's interesting. So, what class, what feats do you ban at the table? Which ones are you like not? Ah, uh, for fifth. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I tend to run fifth that if it's in the player's handbook, it's allowed. Or or if you can use the mechanics in the player's handbook uh, for whatever you want to do. Like I remember Chelsea uh, wanted to play a mouse folk. Uh, and so we were just like, ah, oh, most folk are halflings, uh, was a really, really great fix for that. Uh, and just kind of like letting people say, you know, if, whatever you want mechanically, if it's in the player's handbook, go nuts, which, you know, sometimes you do run into the, you know, like I'm a pole arm master with Sentinel and I, you know, I have an AC of 27 and yeah. you know, it's, uh, or I'm a diviner with the lucky feet. Yeah. 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 But I mean, you know, for fifth edition, I, I, nobody's gonna die anyways you know what i mean like it's a little bit you know be make your broken character if you really want to it's um that's fair i feel you know there there are games where like if you show up at the table with two 18s you're gonna get a hairy eyebrow out of me like uh but uh 
you know, I, I think as far as fifth edition goes, a little bit of power gaming is all part and parcel. Yeah, that's part. Yeah, it's the fantasy there. Yeah, kind of delivering on anyway. Um, um, what about you? What do you? I mean, I feel like when I've played your fifth edition games, uh, we've mostly been playing online, where you have the the D and D Beyond avalanche of player options. <laughs> uh, I do have a legendary package of D and D Beyond stuff. But what um, do you ban at the table? Like, nothing. Yeah. I ban absolutely nothing. I don't. I yeah. Um, I think unlike some DMs, and I don't, I only know a few DMs who are who are even like this. And I think their games are good, so qualify both of those things. Uh, unlike some DMs who are there to try and tell a story, I try to be a DM who is there to be a world for my players to have a whatever they want in. And sometimes it's a story, and sometimes it's a exaggerated you know out of control yeah it's a bit of a farce um and and sometimes you know it's a crime (laughs) sometimes (laughs) it's a genocide yeah uh and i try not to really judge and i try and let them have as much fun as they can have with the rules that they have Mm um the only times where i've i've like had to curb player behaviors is with um summon animal yeah. Summon animals at, at one where you can get eight monsters on the board that you're controlling. And when your turn suddenly takes eight times longer to and execute, else's. it is brutal. And it's not brutal for the DM. I don't care. Like, y- yes, you're going to, you're just yeah. going to kill this thing faster. But for the rest of the people at the table, sitting with their fistful of D6s ready to cast. Right. Fireball. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's uh, I think that's the one time where I've kind of just called it out and said, "Hey, you know, let's why don't we mitigate this? I'll let you roll once, and then we'll average the damage across everybody. Then you know, do something to kind of yeah kick it along, make it a little bit faster. I think that's one of the rules that probably could use, or one of the things that could use rules in fifth edition that doesn't really cover just when you summon a bunch of shit. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't, you know. I, I like it when people bring new you know new weird stuff the and homebrew. are like yeah bring bring the homebrew. Um, See, that, that I've, drives I've me had, a little crazy. I've had people show up at game with homebrew that did not get reviewed and yeah. it was from something that got added to somebody's you know thing somewhere along the line. And uh, even in those cases, I think I've been like, okay, let me read this thing. Wow, that's broken itself. Fine, we'll use it. Go ahead, whatever. <laughs> like, I kind of don't care. Um, but you know, next time, like they're taken out, so we can't don't use it again. And then yeah. next time, you run things by me. It never happens. Doesn't matter. I don't really care. <laughs> um, so I think the last like long campaign that I ran that had any kind of constraints to it that weren't really my own mm-hmm. was Humblewood, okay. and the Humblewood campaign setting has like its own races. Uh, it doesn't really have its own classes per se. There's like some subclass things that kind of are in there that I think some people took. Um, and it's got its own spells that are powerful compared to regular 5th edition spells. So those got used all the time, which was great because we were playing Humblewood, so it felt like we were in this world where this this was the magic. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that actually I thought worked really well to the storytelling parts of Humblewood. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and yeah, I got to get back on it. I'm waiting, waiting for my Humblewood Tales uh, Kickstarter to get delivered so I can get my my Humblewood game yeah. back off the ground. I'm looking at you, heart point hit point press. Give, <laughs> Let's me, my, see give it. me my junk. Give me my plastic junk. There you go. I'm also waiting for my Dolman Wood and my. I got a new. I got Bridgetown. Bridgetown's on its way. Nice. Troika. Yeah, there's a bunch of good Troika stuff coming out. Longshot so, City. I wanna. That's not Troika. Well, it's not Troika, but it's Melsonian. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's gonna it's... be a superhero uh, dice game. Yeah, I don't know Sounds if I fun. just outed myself by talking about my Batman bills and my Bruce Banner ripoff, but I actually kind of like superhero stories. I'm no, little... I think they're fun. I got a bit of a problem, maybe. <laughs> Hey, look, we all we yeah. all survived the last twenty years of Marvel of Marvel like, movies. Yeah, I'm really excited for the next one. <laughs> I don't think I'm really excited for anything these days, but that's just me being old. No, yeah, like I'll, I'll watch it and I'll be like, "Oh, this was good," you know. I remember uh, walking out of Endgame uh, with a friend of mine, and you know, he was saying um, he was telling me that the first one came out. Just kind of, you know, he was like about to enter high school or something, and he's like, and now I'm like an adult, and like it's over, and I'm ready to move on. And I was just like, heathen! Like, <laughs> don't you dare abandon me in this movie theater. We're gonna watch these till we die. Um, That's funny. Yeah. Well, you were talking about so mouse people, mouse folk, halflings. Yeah. Which is an example of skinning player options. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is something that. First of all, doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah, it's uh, so helpful. Like it, it's just like it adds so much to fiction. I feel like. You're... Yeah, I think that's totally true. Although I wonder if, like, I feel like as a DM, mm-hmm. it's great. Yeah, it's a tool to offer that like gets you there as a DM. Mm-hmm. I wonder if from the player side, it feels less gratifying. It can be tricky to feel like you have permission you know what i mean like uh uh but it is one of the interesting things like when you talk to people who are kind of new or like they don't have like they haven't read the book which honestly a lot of people haven't sat down and read the book why would anybody read (laughs) the book in 2023 2023 you could just search for the things you need it's an oral tradition anyways when you get right down to it yeah um but yeah i mean like if you talk to people who haven't read the book and you're like, what kind of like, what do you want to play? You know, they're always like, it's, you know, either they're talking about the fictional characters that they like, but they want, you know, they're, I want to play Aragon. Yeah. Uh, I want to play, you know, I, I want to play one piece. Yeah. I want to play one piece. I want to be like a blue mage from final fantasy. I want to, you know, right. Uh, and when people have kind of played a little bit, you know, I feel like it's very easy to get sucked into like, what do you want to play? Oh, I want to play a cleric next. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is just like, you know, the takes takes a lot of the bite out. I feel like so I always try and encourage people to come up with a concept and then you know look at the pieces and see how close you can get to that using the the kit. Yeah. Um, because I do feel like something is really really lost when you're like, my guy's a barbarian, you know? And that's when you end up, like, you end up in the kind of thing where it's like, oh, I'm a barbarian, and I have the Outlander background. Which just, you know, to talk about power gaming, like, just about, like, the basics of building a character. If you take the Outlander background as a barbarian, you're screwed. 
ruin yourself. Like, you know, the, the choice of skills you get is the exact, you know what I mean? Like you're not getting anything out of Outlander that you weren't getting out of Barbarian. And it's so much more fun to me, I think, to be like, oh, I'm a Barbarian and my background is I am a nobleman. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a really angry, spoiled little boy and I throw tantrums and that's my care. You know what I mean? Like that's way better, I think. Or to be like, I'm a wizard but I'm like my tribe's wizard. I'm an outlander wizard. You know, I, I live right. on the frozen tundra and I do my whatever I do. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but I feel like that's one of the nice things about 5e is you can take those those contrasting options to build sort of more interesting characters. But at the same time, there's kind of like, I don't know, like a weird pressure almost not to do that. Like, it's like you say, like if you're playing a cleric, right? You're playing a healer. You want to take the healer feed. So when you run out of cleric healing, you've got more healing so you can fulfill your healer role, right? Uh, which is just such a, it's a very gamest way to look at it. And you're like, I gotta, I gotta be the, the heal, right? Yeah. Like bring the heal. And it's, I think it's just more interesting to be like, yeah, like, you know, my guy was a soldier. I took the soldier background and, you know, I'm a, I was a wagon driver for the army until I witnessed blah, blah, blah. And I turned to God and that's why I'm a cleric. So I have. Thrun this, was the, yeah. the soldier became priest. Yeah. Yeah. And developed interestingly too, right? Because uh, that character had that whole kind of like, dra- you know, you were involved with dragons, you were serving a dragon. Yeah. Um, became a dragon knight or a head of a dragon knighthood. Yeah. Got transformed into a bird person wizard. For a little while yeah, there. That was pretty fun. Um, hid your identity from my player character. <laughs> uh, still, we had some weird times. Yeah. I think Alhazrad still doesn't realize that both Thrones were one Thrones. He was just like, boy, Thrones is a really popular name for these Dragon Knight characters. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, that's, that actually makes a lot of sense. But you were talking about skinning. Yeah, so skinning. So obviously player skinning is one side of that token but then the other side of that is monster skinning Mm -hmm. and i think one of the things you've said to me repeatedly that i feel needs to be said to the world is goblins are wood elves are wood elves goblins are wood elves yeah i mean because wood wood elves don't have stat block in the dungeon they don't monster manual there's a bit of an implication that if you want a stat block to represent one of the player races, you should take guard or knight or thug and right. apply the racial, you know, whatever to it, which is bland and stupid. <laughs> it's a terrible way to do what elves. It makes them feel no different than humans. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, and, you know, it's likely like wood elves make a great enemy, especially for low level parties, because, you know, tromping around in the forest, you know, you can kind of do things like, oh, well, you know, if you, you harass the birds if you pull up the root or you know if you if you take the special rock then you make the wood elves mad you know what i yeah. mean like yeah so i think that that goblin stat block you've got that nimble escape feature that lets you hide or disengage as a bonus action perfect for wood elves they've got the short blow damage all you have to do is you change the language to elven you maybe bump up you know intelligence and wisdom charisma, charisma. yeah get them out of the you know satisfy your fantasy racism a little bit and make them pretty and special uh and uh satisfy your fantasy racism yeah you know it's gonna be a bumper sticker i somewhere. just want goblins to smell bad and have bad wisdom saves i don't know what that is <laughs> yeah no i think goblins are just leaky yeah yeah i think they just urinate 
sure. constantly. Like they have no bladder control. Yeah. That's what makes them goblins. Interesting. Like they were people before. <laughs> they were people of other races, but they've just been shunned. Terrible. Because medical... they're bedwetters. There we go. And all bedwetters become goblins. In fantasy gay blend. We were we were mad at Morkborg last week. This week it's Bedwetters. You're on notice. <laughs> <laughs> I will always be mad at Morkborg. Yeah. You called them Finnish last time. Are they not Finnish? No, they're Swedish. That's like Are you sure? I'm I'm very sure they're Swedish. Yeah. Those are fighting words. I we'll think. see. We'll see. Prove it. <laughs> Fight Come Russia. At me. Come at me, Morkborg. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean... Cool game, bro. Cool game, bro. Nice typeface. <laughs> exactly. Nice 50 million we typefaces. Were, we were really pulling our punches on Morkboard in episode one. Now we're here on episode five, just letting those Norwegian bastards have it. <laughs> I get to say that. I'm Norwegian. Uh, Are you? I, arguably. I mean, I'm Canadian. <laughs> just, let's stick that. Let's yeah, stick, I'll stick with, with that. that yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I what mean, other good, mo- what other good, mo- like uh, easy monster skins? Yeah. Are obvious, and and there. So I was I actually did like a little short the other day that was mm-hmm. about um throwing together like a like if you didn't have time to prep or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the thing that came out of it was like an air elemental in like a house fire. So you had smoke cool. methods and an air elemental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, like actually that it's not even like a monster. It's almost like a you're representing a force of nature okay. using the monster stat block of an air elemental. That's interesting. It's like if you're fighting this fire, you know, you're fighting the air coming into the fire, the air that's feeding the fire. Mm-hmm. And you just do some, you know, breaking floors and ceilings and, you know, some fire damage, like constant area of effect fire damage and deal with the air elemental to, to stop the fire. And I was like, Kind of a cool, that's very cool, cool way to think about it. I think uh, like elementals fit into that really nicely, where you can be like, oh, okay, you're being your your boat is being thrashed around mm-hmm. by the waves. Yeah, it's two water elementals slam attacking your boat. Yeah, you know, or you like that's interesting. So those were some things I I had thought. I do really like. Um, using like air elementals in particular as like a spirit power thing, or if it's like, you know, like this guy exhales an air elemental on you, or like this guy is going to like, you know, uh, somehow generate, like, I think there's a bit in Long Bear Valley where uh, there's a ghost, um, the ghost of an electromancer and her spirit. We don't use the ghost stat block. We use two copper dragons that speak in unison and kind of form this like swirling, magnetic thing you know yeah they've got the repulsion breath and the electricity damage and what have you um, yeah that's a really cool reskin stuff like that works well i noticed you were you called them shambling mounds last time but the the trolls at the end of right. uh wake up sheeple uh where it's like having those just be like you were saying like you know when you when you you you're describing a monster to someone you're like oh yeah it's big and green and warty and has dreadlocks and they're like kill it with fire it's a troll yeah. it's you can kind of get around that by being like yeah the lichen stands up and it's uh it's a plant monster now and you're like oh what is this like and it's oh it's growing back okay well i know what to do with things that grow back like <laughs> you know, it. yeah right it's i i changing those little skin things is so satisfying to me and you were also talking about combat as exploration 
Um, I feel like that's all part of it to make things new and fresh and exciting and dangerous and mysterious. It can just even say like um, one of my favorite things with ogres, you know, when you say ogre, you think, okay, he's big and he's kind of like, whoa, you know, he's an ogre. Uh, I like being like, yeah, they're normal, normal guy. Legs and arms are three times as long as normal. He's spindly, you know, and, and yeah. then you're like, what is this thing? Like, does it have reach? Like, what am I, you know, what's going on? And, you know, meanwhile, I'm sitting back here with my CR2 ogre stat block that's completely unmodified, just being like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's fine. This yeah, is fine. it works really, really well. Um, and there's so, yeah, there's so many great, like, you know, zombies work great as constructs. Um, zombies work great as constructs, yeah. Like, In fact, yeah, I think that's one of the things I've noticed a lot about the modules that we do or we do tweaks um, is like you'll take something and just change its type. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like, yeah, that's just a really smart, like, because there's so many things that can be inherited in a type mm-hmm. that like you just don't get, doesn't, you know. Uh, I think one of my favorites so that you've done is the electric sheep. The yeah, blue, the blue, you. blue dragon wormling, electric sheep. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, they're just electric sheep in in Android Dreamland. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, like right. lightning bolts everywhere. Fantastic. It's fun too when you're working with the SRD, um, which I guess people don't have to do anymore. Question mark. But uh, Thanks. I mean, ostensibly, yeah, like the common creative. So they they opened the SRD to the Creative Commons. Okay. So now you can use it and reference it using like a, a two-sentence two. blurb. Is it still the same list of monsters that you're tied to? Yeah. I yeah. thought that was one of the more, when we were doing like the two-page dungeons and stuff, having to play off of that list of monsters was like, it's so helpful creatively too, because it's like you, you know, you have your idea, you know, your, your, your options, so to speak, are very, very limited. Which makes it three hundred monsters is well, you know, but like it's a lot of monsters. It's a lot of monsters, but you know how many of them are dragons of varying ages and colors, right? Like, <laughs> uh, hey, hey, hey. Um, are you calling Dungeons yeah, and Dragons even slightly un- unoriginal or hobbits? Uh, halflings, uh, <laughs> short people. Yeah, um, mouse folk. Um, but. Uh, you know, it, I, I feel like there is something really creatively freeing about being like, okay, well, I'm going to have an idea and then I'm going to look over this list for something that works for that. And I'm just going to try and tweak it a little bit. And, you know, yeah, like, I think that's great. If I could uh, save time in a bottle. No. Uh, if I could write a letter to the D&D people uh, for the next edition and just say, like, you know, what do you want in the next edition? I think you can, by can the I? way. Yeah, yeah, they're doing. Does the, the mail, the postal system, still works? What year is it? Um, <laughs> many years since many Germany years. won the war. <laughs> yeah, we, dystopian future. Uh, yeah, uh, the grasshopper lies heavy. Or, um, anyway, sorry, Philip K. Dick nonsense. Um, the monster manual, I feel really, really strongly, should be like you know, for every CR layer so like every cr row or whatever you want to call it there should be like five or six shells of a monster that are like this is a heavy hitter monster this is a caster monster this is a leader monster this is a thiefy monster this is you know these are the the classes of monster 
And then you should have all of the abilities that you can tag onto those monsters, either keeping the CR the same or altering it however. Mm -hmm. And then you can have your monster manual and be like, okay, well, goblins are a CR one-fourth rogue monster that has this ability and this ability, and they speak goblin and this and that. And just kind of really give you the the toolkit. Um, yeah. So I don't know if you've seen the the rules for finding CRs for homebrew monsters in fifth edition, but they are. I, I think they're actually. There's a joke internally at Wizards of the Coast <laughs> because they wrote them, but they like they wrote them for that book. Yeah. They didn't use them for, for the monsters. Uh, for the book that is the monster book. They yeah. just wrote them so that they would be like, well, give the DM something yeah. and handed it off. But like they have apparently an, a, a spreadsheet mm-hmm. somewhere in a Watsi vault that they punch all the things into and it gives them a CR. And Mike Shea is convinced that there's a bug in the spreadsheet. That that's what <laughs> happened. It's like the, the spreadsheet is ancient. This bug has been there since the beginning. I believe it. And so it's just been wrong and nobody has caught it because it's like a programming bug. It's yeah. not an actual, there's no sense to it. No, no, people have lost the meaning of the formula. Yeah, the guy who wrote the Excel sheet is uh, currently in Tajikistan. And, uh, yeah. yeah, smoking, mind expanding. <laughs> yeah, Alien pheromones through a laser hookah. Nice. Um. Yeah. Shoot. Uh, I mean, there's so many fifth edition monsters. I, there's are... a book, Forge of Forge of Foes. Mm-hmm. I think is also a Sly Flourish and um, his buddies, and they did very much that. They basically that whole book the is, monster, is about the modular monster. how to construct monsters, mm-hmm. um, kind of on the fly. I feel like that's such a better way to do it. It is. Know? It is. It really is. And I, it, like, I, I haven't, I haven't read that book, but I've seen reviews of it, and I've seen kind of the parts of it that he had available for free. Sorry, Mike, I haven't bought all your books yet. Um, I have bought none of them, <laughs> and he never will. I know. I'm pro- I'll buy them for him. <laughs> yeah, I'll read his. Yeah. <laughs> Piracy. That's how he used to do it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really solid looking system, and it works in tandem with the lazy DM stuff so it's like it's it's really well designed they did a good job great job go pick up mike shay's forge of foes we like mike shay yeah slide flourish was good yeah it's good stuff he's one of the best mediocre white guys on the internet yeah yeah and has been forever i voted for him for union chief i don't know what uh (laughs) (laughs) really gotta um man that'd be crazy if there was like a titter pig writer's union oh god um yeah you know honestly i think it it would have to change from one of those things uh right now it's a little bit everybody wants to cook and nobody wants to eat you know so yeah no that's fair that's fair problem that's interesting so you feel like the appetite for for games is smaller than the the interest in the interest in making them you're um yeah well i feel like i feel like I feel like everybody, you know, I, I, I feel like there's a lot more people who want to write modules. Um, like the amount of modules that are written is is way beyond, you know, what is needed, right? Like, uh, it's like... Well, what's needed? Yeah, well, I mean, really, like, I think people, 
think when you look at like the modules that people are really excited about uh, or like that are famous in some way or uh, well-known, they're usually coming out of very, I, sorry, I'm trying to phrase this in a way that doesn't make me sound like the world's biggest asshole. Um, You're the world's biggest asshole, just say it. Yeah, I am, aren't I? I shit all over this. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like when when people, like the adventures that make people excited, like Curse of Strahd in 5th edition or like uh, Jacques' work in the, the, the battle days, uh, like they're both kind of coming in for lack of a better word, in impoverished times where there weren't a whole bunch of content. There wasn't a whole bunch of content for those games at that time. And like Tomb of Horrors is kind of like that. Like when Tomb of Horrors was around, it was like, this is the hard one. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was like, it stood out. It had its own kind of thing. And I think ultimately when people play modules a little bit, you know, they would like the idea that like, there's a community of people that you can go to and go, hey, you know, uh, my players did this in the in the bone mill. How's Strahd going to react? And there's a whole bunch of people who played it and they go, oh, you know, my players did the same thing. I can tell you all about it. Like right. I even wrote a little table for this and I'll send you, you know, like they've got a community. They have focus. Whereas you look at 99% of the stuff on drive through sells less than 100 copies, has probably read by about half of the people who bought it um probably run by about a tenth of those you know so if you sell a hundred copies maybe you know six tables ran your games for four people each so yeah um, and it never happens immediately i think that's the other thing to take into consideration yeah. when you're writing these things it's like you publish it somebody buys it they might read it immediately but when are they going to bring that to the table it's yeah. going to be weeks months you, you know, know, a year's like so. Patrick Stewart, Maze of the Blue Medusa. Yeah, I remember that. That almost kind of got me back into to D and D a little bit. My wife bought me a copy. I was like, "This is so beautiful! Like the production value is so nice. Really inspires me. I think about it a lot. Um, never, never. I've never run it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've never even run the. You threatened to. I threatened to on occasion, but uh, we want to play it. I'd love to play it. Well, let's play it. We should, but also I want to run more Blood Prairie games, and I want to run Bar Hack, and I want to run Pixels and Pagans, and I want to, you know, I want to make a, a Venture Brothers Fantastic Four pastiche, and I, you know, there's a million things I want to do, and there's only so many opportunities to get me and my thirty plus friends around a table to, you know, <laughs> away from our day jobs and our kids, and you know, like making that time to play that game just is such a rare thing am i really gonna spend it on something somebody else wrote or like am i gonna buy like i have so many broodmother sky fortress i read a couple of weeks ago is amazing yeah. like just so like it's really really great um have you, you read it no so there's uh the opening bit of it is basically just like hey spoilers for broodmother sky fortress well no no spoilers maybe, maybe not no spoilers for broodmother sky fortress because it's like hey where did the bad guys come from? Here's like four options. Maybe they're fallen angels. Maybe they're mutants from Mars. Maybe they're this. Maybe they're that. Uh, and it's like it gives you a whole bunch of options as a DM to, you know, twiddle different bits and make it fit your campaign. And then once you actually get into it, the whole thing is like basically, you know, six or seven really great unique monsters in a really great unique setting with like lots of good thinky ways to beat, you know, 
monsters that are mechanically hard, but that, you know, you as players are kind of using the environment against them and, you know, doing all that kind of, you know, the stuff you find on, you know, what, like, how should you write your D&D module? Like, make sure the environment can be used against the, it's, everything is there. It's all done so well. I'm probably never going to get a chance to run it, you know? I think highly of it. It inspires me, but... Uh, well, I think that is, if, if I can be so bold, Yeah, that's why we do it. Yeah, that's what the modules are for. The modules, yeah, like I would say, there's there is a percentage of DMs who run by the book modules, but I would not say that those are the DMs that I write for. Yeah, certainly not the DMs I hope read our stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, because they're probably not going to get to our stuff. There's more than enough Watsy stuff that they consider canon. Yeah, uh, that they care about. They care about the lore of Wizards of the Coast. They care about the the lore of Forgotten Realms. That shit's a nightmare. Sorry, Ed. It's great, but holy crap. Like, I love the books. I wouldn't want to play I wouldn't D&D want to play D&D in, D&D in, in the Forgotten Realms. Realms. That sounds yeah. like a horror show. It's, it does not sound like a fun setting to me. Well, <laughs> But that's because I have opinions on what makes a fun setting, and yeah. my opinions tend to be low, high magic. Actually, it's funny. Uh, what's her name? Kingsville. Dale Kingsville said this literally on the ghost fire uh, podcast Eldritch lore cast uh, the other day. And I was like, God, that's the best way I've ever heard this put, but magic is pervasive. It's everything, but your access to it is limited or your knowledge that it is magic is limited. So it's kind of how I feel about like the real world, like cities are kind of like a magic, but your capacity to, be like be in control of the faculties of a city are limited Mm. it's kind of your willingness to buy into all of the you know social stuff but then you're also kind of being controlled by that magic in the same way uh i just kind of feel like that's kind of how like civilization works it's like a magic that we share via language the idea idea buys into you yeah like but you don't actually control it like there's some people, there's wizards out there who do control it, mm-hmm. and they're not us. They're like running the Federal Reserve and shit. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> Bernanke, the sorcerer. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, like, kind of makes sense. Like, you know. Anyway, not to get into that too much, but like, I feel like that's a really interesting and engaging way to present a world. To be like, yeah, there's magic and it's everywhere, but you wouldn't necessarily know that it was magic unless you really understood it or scratched under the hood and mm-hmm. kind of like had some insight into the into the inner workings. And then despite that, your ability to control or influence that magic is highly mitigated by you not being the person in control. And I think that was what you guys experienced up against Aspian, mm. where, yeah, his, all of his power came from having an undead army, but, you know, whatever. Like, that's normal D&D fare. Yeah. And being a noble, yeah. which he used abusively and regularly against all of you. And that was kind of the magic of him was that he had the connection, had the, he had the patents. He would, this was his land. Like, um, he was the law, you know? And yeah, I think that that makes for such, such an interesting place to play, uh, games and have stories and let the players discover. Cause at some point understanding the motivations of who controls those level lovers of power Mm -hmm. can kind of become, the game. Yeah. And that I think is where exploration social kind of turns 
turns the engine of how to make world-changing stories, mm-hmm. which I like. Speaking of games I'll never play, <clears throat> uh, that I that you bought and I read, <laughs> um, uh, Carcosa has... Did I buy Carcosa for us? Yeah, you did. I don't think it's you a, read it. I did. Is that a physical? No, I oh, think it's it was just a the, video. Okay. No, I did. Okay. Yeah, I read it. I read it. You did? Yeah, I, I, read, I skimmed it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. I think that's... <clears throat> It's the kind of book that's best skimmed, really. <laughs> um, I think most D&D books are best skimmed. Best skimmed. Um, but the magic system in that, uh, some of the grimdark kind of, you know, silliness notwithstanding, um, is one of the most interesting things about that. Because it's like, you know, if you want to cast a spell, it's like, go to this place, uh, perform uh-huh. these actions, and you get, you know, this effect in these ways. Like, it's very every spell you get is like a secret formula that then sends you out into the world to quest for usually human sacrifices because again carcosa is not something i would it's run. a lamentations of the flame princess yeah thing. it's i think even even by the standards of lamentations it's a little much for me um <laughs> <laughs> like I, i'm pretty sure james Ragge literally the other day was like uh since the ampersand game is making a planescape or like opening up the planes. What should the Lamentations of the Flame Princess yeah. planes be? And he was like, Car- use Carcosa as a good reference point. And I was like, yeah, no, it's even by their standards, they love it. Oh, I'm so. sure they do. But the, but there is a lot of great stuff in Carcosa. Like the, the psionic system is amazing, and I love that magic system where everything you get feels like a little secret that you can weaponize against the world, or That's cool. you know. And I really wanted to do that. Like uh, we we've been working on a game, Blood Prairie, uh, talking about the magic system for that. I would really like to have the entire magic system for that game be in the GM book. Yeah. And as a player, if you get a spell, you get like a card or something. Right. And it's only it's only when you know the spell that you get a little bit of information about. It. And even then, you might not. It might not tell you all the consequences, or it might not tell you how to negotiate with the spirit you're dealing with, or right. you know. But it just it gives you you know little little those little levers those little dials that you can kind of mess with the world um yeah i think blood prairie would is is the kind of world where it would be best served with like magic as artifact and then like your exposure to it is like oh i i found this artifact it isn't working now i need i need to go and quest to get it Mm -hmm. into a position where it works okay it's working now Oh shit! Turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> well, that's one of the things I, I I do appreciate about the Lamentations published modules is that oh shit, turn it off moment seems to be at the end of yeah. like I just finished reading um, All Dogs Go to Hell, which is like I like I'm being flippant, but it's like six pages of adventure followed by twelve pages of now you're fucked. <laughs> it's, <just> like, <laughs> it's really like, and here's all the things that could have gone wrong in the campaign defining consequences of each of them. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Um, anyway, I guess the the thing I was saying that I probably never even got out was I buy modules to harvest them for bits, for bits of good ideas mm-hmm. and inspiration for good ideas. And so, in my mind, the best thing to write and publish as an adventure module writer is not necessarily... I mean, it is a complete adventure. But it is more so a complete adventure that has so many ideas packed into a very tight amount of words mm-hmm. 
that you could you can't read half of it without coming up with 20 cool new ideas that are you know germinated from the seed of that adventure mm-hmm. and that you go and rip off and take off into your campaign in some way mm-hmm. and i think that was like the whole purpose of the 5e kind of two pagers for us was yeah. like how can we become super proficient at executing on constraints based layouts how can we become super proficient at being concise and punchy and evocative with our our pros how can we save a ton of money on art because <laughs> we only have to tell you one page <laughs> yeah if uh, if you're not using ai art which it turns out everybody hates you if you use it so uh, people with uh, twitter accounts hate you i think people who spend yeah. money on modules don't care I, you know sound off in the comments if you yeah. yeah if you're hearing this and you can't give a shit uh, and if you want to buy, we have a game that's been ready to go for over almost a year now. Warp Crawl. It's done. It's beautiful. It's, it's a book. It's fun. Uh, it's kind of huge. Honestly, it's like 65, yeah, 64 it pages. Um, it's available. Like we, we have it ready on paperback. It's been print tested. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's filled with AI art. It's gorgeous looking AI art. We couldn't possibly replace the art with it would take it would cost us thousands of dollars to replace the art with human human effort tens tens of thousands tens of thousands of dollars uh if you guys want it sound off and comment down below and shut down anybody who says don't <laughs> use ai art because we you know we wrote this game it's awesome and we've had we tested the hell out of it we really put our uh, our effort into it and the layout looks gorgeous it's so good and we just can't afford and we can't like I mean, I'll, honestly, we'll just have to ship it. We'll just have to ship it. There's nothing else we can kind of do. Like we can't, I can't, I can't swallow the cost of writing it because we, I, I paid the writer. Like we did the thing, right? That's right. We, <laughs> yeah, no worries. Like, yeah, the writing's all human. <laughs> yeah, the writing's all human. The art was labored over. It's not like it wasn't labored over. It's just, no. you know, we we were punching in and we punched in and replaced and generated and replaced and it was it was a lot. All laid out. Looks oh, so good, though. Anyway, another great book of inspiration yeah. and fun stuff. Although I think ultimately, what I, the things I love about Quest Crawl, Warp Crawl, Waste Crawl, all the crawls, is the minimalism in design that I I don't think I've really seen anywhere else. Like you get a ton out of what you get. Yeah. In in the for the for the minimalism. For the rules that we've got, there's just so much in that game. I feel like it quest crawl works really well because it's geared to be uh, like the meaning of the individual spaces changes dramatically depending on what's around them. Like where you read the rules and you're like, oh, like twos are foraging spots. Like, <clears throat> and yeah, they are, but like a two right next to town is very different from a two right next to like an unearthed evil or two at the end of a peninsula or two twos next to each other is like that's a special thing as we've found in our our playing you know if you can bounce off two forages that's a really really nice setup you know uh things like like the game plays very differently depending on where the mountains are where the dwarves are like uh yeah, yeah i don't know what one of my favorite things to do when we first did that game and I was working on the Roll20 board for it, was to go and just generate boards and take pictures of them yeah. and post them online and talk about 
what the story was that the world was telling me mm-hmm. with the layout of the cards. But that was just such an interesting, I had never considered that before as like a, a way to do that. And I'm, I'm super interested in what we end up doing with advanced quest crawl or whatever we want to call it. Yeah. I'm going to vote. I'm, I'm definitely going to vote for advanced quest crawl. I think, I think that the, works. Okay, cool. Uh, it puts us further up in the alphabet, if nothing else. <laughs> exactly. And it, it, it's the Gagaxian tradition, right? It's like, I don't want to pay you royalties for the original oh, Quest Crawl. Oh, good. Okay. So when we do Advanced Quest Crawl, it'll be all new separate gadget, royalties. You're going to screw me over like Gaia? There you go. <laughs> Thanks. No. I'd no. Never do that. Oh, you're a joke. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, mean, I realize we're coming up on the end of our time, but even the longer stuff we did for 5e, feel like each of those were so like you know um like doom desert is awesome if you want to take it apart i feel like the bits work great on their own mm-hmm. moon elves i feel like very i feel very very proud of moon elves because i feel like it's an attempt to add mechanics to a very underdeveloped part of the game and i feel like it's not hard to take the the party point system in moon elves and rearrange it to be a feast uh, in the Hall of the Dwarven King, or it's you know you are getting drunk on plum wine in the celestial heavens. And... In fact, if I'm not mistaken, in Bitter Feast, you kind of almost give like an homage to the party point system during that whole scenario. There's a, I mean, it's a. It's not really a point system, but yeah, like you kind of imply it's a, it's a similar kind of attempt to uh gamify those social interactions by right. pairing people up with npcs and having them go through their own little arcs with these other characters that's um, interesting i wonder so i think like why do you feel that that's necessary why do you feel that that's necessary okay um, or why do you think that's a good a good idea yeah so uh i guess for a couple of reasons the first one being that i do think there's a lot of credence to when people say like the game is about whatever the mechanics are about. So D&D is about killing things, getting money, and buying better tools to kill more things. Like, that's kind of the loop. Yeah. And so I feel like saying, mm-hmm. okay, the challenge here is you gotta, you got to impress these guys, like, mm-hmm. socially. I feel like finding ways to quantify that or even just saying, like, you got a point. You didn't get a point. Like, uh, it helps people latch on to these things. Uh, I remember, is it... Uh, dice so nice they said dice twice that ran moon elves in an actual play or was it queer xp i think it was dice so nice they said dice twice. i'm so sorry you guys are all great anybody who's run our games for an actual play i love you please don't hurt me um but uh i don't think either of them ran moon elves somebody uh, else ran moon elves but well they were great whoever they were yeah um i can't remember but uh, it was interesting watching these guys play it because i had never spoken to any of them and they were total strangers to me just kind of running it based off the book yeah. uh and when they got yeah it was dice okay cool um it was really interesting watching them start because the party scene kind of begins and it's like okay now you're and they were very unsure at first the players were like like i don't know like what can i hit it with my axe like you know yeah, like, yeah. what can i do here and kind of by the time they got through to the third round of picking things, uh, picking the events, the encounters they were going to do, everybody was really, really engaged. They were like, oh, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get these party points. I'm going to, I want to do this one. I want to try the most outrageous one on the table, you know. Uh, and I feel like giving people those handholds 
helps them feel less silly when you say, you know, impress the elf king. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because when you when you throw that to somebody without structure, it's kind of like, well, I, you know, I, I roll a charisma check. Like, you know what I mean? Right, right. Well, um, I think that, that was exactly what I was. I was like, okay, he's going to say it at some point. Yeah. But basically, like, how do you get somebody from... Uh, I use persuasion. Yeah, what do you I know, have I on my character my, sheet? I, did I impress him? You know, how do you get them from that to... I'm going to take my shirt off and smoke that absurdity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I blow the rings of absurdity out of my nostrils yeah. and rip off my shirt and pants. And I make a pass at the Hollywood the... Orchestra. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, how do you get a person from point A to point B? Mm-hmm. And the answer is you make the trip there fun mm-hmm. by providing them, like you said, the tools, yeah. the the mechanics to interact with that gives them the, uh, not the excuse, but like the, the reason to do the, mm-hmm. uh, go the extra, you know, do the crazier thing. Yeah. Uh, it's really fun. Or you just want to know too, that there's like, that there's content there, you know, like uh, you want to know if you take that leap of faith, you're going to land on a random table somewhere, right? Yeah, is there? That's hard. That's actually one of the things that I've I've had found extremely challenging is as a DM. Mm-hmm. I loved running Moon Elves because Moon Elves kind of gave me everything on the DM side of a social encounter that I find is almost always lacking. What is behind that action? What is behind that thing that they can do? And it's like because you're shepherding the party through a huge list of options mm-hmm. it's like and you don't even have to give them the options you can say oh these, these things what do you do you know um but you can't explicitly give them the options at the end of the day having that on the on the dm side really frees me up to just have as much fun as i want you know role playing within the context but a lot of modules out there you know that you read like they, they will put a social situation in front of you and then just be like, okay, good luck. Yeah. You know, and without tools on both sides, it's like kind of sitting there staring at each other, like, okay, what do we Yeah. What do we do now? I mean, uh, it's one of the things too, like I you know, we talk about like the things that, you know, we're bad at as DMs. And I feel like <clears throat> playing characters is always one for me where I just like my social anxiety flares up and I'm just like, I don't know. He uh, you know. He he says something witty, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no, like, I'm shit for dialogue. Yeah, I cannot um, come up with good, and I'm terrible at monologues. I'll throw a voice down, yeah, but just because I love doing voices. Uh, um, but they're usually pretty horse shit. Like they're not good voices; they're just funny. They don't need to be. That's the. I think it's the beauty of doing voices yeah. is that the worse they are, the better. Almost. The better they are. Like yeah. yeah, not like there's some you can't get too screechy without. You know, people being like, "Okay, calm down." And, yeah, and before you're like, "Okay, that's I'm not doing any any more of that." You know, but um, yeah, you know, being an oaf or being a you know witty or whatever. I think the the thing that falls over for me is British accents. Yeah, as soon as somebody starts doing British accents, I'm like, you know, I'll take a British accent over the the kind of like the fancy talk North American thing. People, you know what I mean? Where the start talking like this uh and it's all that just... sounds like a bad british accent well maybe that's what it is i think that's what the elfin like you know hoity-toity yeah 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 
I'm a fancy rich person and I don't care who knows it. Like, yeah, yeah, that's that's British. Is it? I yeah. don't know. I something. Something. I mean But I agree. I can't yeah, I have a hard time with that. Yeah. Um I I prefer I think m- most of my NPCs are from the South. <laughs> like the deep south. <laughs> Toothless South is what I call yeah, it. Yeah, sure. that's the way Welcome to Mario. Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll reach back there and give me that axe. Yeah. Get this platoon. Um we'll get us some goblins. All right. I think we've run our time. Thank have. you so much for hanging out with me, Austin, yeah, and always. doing another episode. And um to you, listener, thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah. For another wonderful episode. One at, more time. Yeah. Subscribe, uh, like and comment. Yeah. Or whatever. You don't share don't, it on your Facebook. Don't let me tell you what to do. Let you me tell, tell you what, what to do. I'll tell you what to do. <laughs> tell you what to do. Share it with your friends and threaten them with violence if they don't watch it. I'll pretend podcasts aren't boring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, thanks for doing your laundry while you listen to. Uh, thanks for listening to us while you do your laundry. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, please, if you do get a chance to, go onto our YouTube channel and find the quest crawl tutorial mm. where you can comment to join our giveaway. We'll be giving away 10 copies of the quest crawl print zine, mm-hmm. which is exclusive. It's only available through us. Like, and I think Cl- cloud composed dream games also has copies of it, but very rare, super hard to find fun game. Uh, do that. And otherwise I think you should stay weird. Stay weird.